Welcome to Startup to Scale, a podcast by Food Bevy. I'm your host, Jordan Buckner. Join me as I talk to aspiring entrepreneurs, seasoned industry experts, and everyone in between as we unlock the keys to growing from startup to scale. A lot of brands talk to me about the option between self-manufacturing and working with a contract manufacturer as they're deciding how to grow their brand. And it's a really tough decision. And a lot of brands actually will end up doing both at some point along their life cycle. But I wanted to really break down what that looks like and use an example brand to talk through the journey of building and scaling up a CPG brand, manufacturing everything yourself. So for this conversation, I've invited on Margarita Womack, who is the founder of Moss Empanadas, the line of frozen empanadas. They're six years old and they've been self-manufacturing throughout this journey. What's great is that they're actually just building out a new manufacturing facility to expand their capacity, and that's going to enable them to further their social mission of supporting immigrant Hispanic women as well. Margarita has raised over $1.5 million to fund this vision, and I think it's just a great company, a great product, and a great story. And so I want to invite Margarita on to share that journey. Welcome. Well, thank you, Jordan. Very excited to be here today. So this has been a long journey in those six years in the making is short and long at the same time. Tell me a little bit about how you started Masa Banadas and particularly your decision to start self-manufacturing. I started the brand in 2017 or the company and really at the beginning, the plan looked nothing like what the company is nowadays. To be honest, it was mostly an excuse to get someone a visa and give her the option to stay in the U.S. So I was at a point where I was working full-time teaching and I had a newborn and two young boys. So needed help. And it's the first time as an immigrant myself that I really felt the lack of family, the whole the lack of community around you leaves. And so I had a friend of family come and help out. And she wanted to stay in the US and do so legally. And I was more than happy to entertain the idea. So we started what was meant to be a catering company out of my home kitchen to cater to friends and neighbors. But of course, you can't really do it out of your kitchen in Maryland to get all the proper permits and licenses. So we went to Union Kitchen, an incubator in D.C., where then we started the company and quickly we realized that the empanadas were the best sellers in the menu. And that while the catering company didn't have that much potential, that much growth, that there was a real business opportunity in frozen foods, taking our empanadas and the consumer packaged goods space. And so nowadays we have our own facility that's 12,000 square feet and uh, adding another chunk to it. And uh, yeah, ready to take over the world one empanada at a time. That's amazing. And congrats on the success so far. I'd love for you to give a sense of the size of the business right now. And so about how many retail stores are you selling in and how's your business kind of split between, I know you're selling retail and also food service. So at three channels, actually. So we split among retail branded. We consider then retail private label, separate channel, and then food service. Last year, we wrapped up at around 85% private label. Food service was just starting to come back. It's expected to probably around triple this year. And retail also actually will more than triple this year. That's our focus right now as we stabilized our production, our operations, and obtain the cash flow through the private label. 
So this year, we should be at around 65, 70 private label and about 20% retail, 10% our food service. We're currently open various DCs with Cisco. We open with FoodPro and we are onboarding with Performance Food Group. So we should start getting some ramp up on that side. For our retail line, we are around 2,000 doors, mid-Atlantic, northeast, midwest. Some good news, though. We're launching with another several hundred accounts, probably another 500 in September. And we should get another 500 or so sometime the rest of Q3, Q4. We distribute through UNFI, KEHI, CNS. Those are our main ones. That's amazing. I think one thing that really stands out is the percentage of sales that's to private label. A lot of founders, a lot of companies really shy away from doing private label work. Tell me about your decision to primarily focus on private label, at least at the beginning, and what it's enabled you to do. For us, it was a survival aspect. When the option came up, it fortunately was at a time where, where it saved the business. So we were producing out of Union Kitchen had our small space, it was starting to get pretty tight. And we considered going to a co-packer because that's generally the advice you get. In fact, the first time I met Seth Goldman at a conference, I asked him, what is the biggest piece of advice you would give somebody in the stage? And he said, do not ever do your own manufacturing. <laughs> and here we are doing our own manufacturing. <laughs> but <laughs> I think it actually paid off for us in ways that we couldn't really have foreseen at that point in time. The traditional path of going to a co-packer simplifies your business model. You pretty much just focus on your sales and your mind marketing and your structure is just so much easier to manage. Having your own operations is indeed, I don't know what to call it, but the complexity, the headaches, the amount of stress that comes with it is quite significant. So certainly not the path for everyone. For us, when we were at this juncture in the path, do we go co-packer? What do we do? It was the opportunity just literally fell on my lap. I guess I've had always a good start, but there was a local small manufacturer that made empanadas. He decided to close his business. So this happened at the same time we were debating what to do. And so we were able to step in, take over the lease, buy the equipment. And here we go. We have our own manufacturing facility ready to start. And we're doing mostly food service at that point, hoping to grow the brand organically, because we were hoping to mostly bootstrap. And food service, we had good margins. It's something that would bring in sufficient cash flow to then slowly take the brand where we wanted it to be. And then COVID hit, right? So over 80% of our sales that were tied to social events disappeared. And so we're kind of stuck. Like, what do we do? We had been in the space not even a year, and we had assumed this lease. We had all these responsibilities already. And we had started considering the possibility of private label. We had we had a friend that was doing it, had recommended us. And so we decided to give it a shot. It was a big jump. We were not necessarily quite up to speed at the point to grow so faster production, but hey, we were going to make it happen. And we made it happen. Had to double the size of the facility. We had to purchase all this equipment. We had to hire all these people in the middle of COVID. Not fun. I think it was a few months where I practically was working 24 hours and lived at the plant. And it, it fortunately worked out. We were able to deliver. People loved the product. And so we got a permanent account that then allowed us to be sustainable as a company versus the path of, hey, well, we have a great product. We're planning to get acquired in just a few years down the road. So it's okay. We just raise some money, have a terrible bottom line, but it doesn't matter because whenever we get acquired, 
they'll be able to take over operations and do a much better job. And we just exit. Here we have something that proved to be much more post-COVID friendly, where we're getting closer to a break-even, where we have a structure that can go a long way and not necessarily have the need to raise money constantly and be on the lookout for that quick exit. But the option comes. Wonderful. If it doesn't, we can keep on going on our own. Thank you. Margarita, I will have to say like you and the journey that you lived has been the model that I recommend CPG founders take as the default in this space, which is finding a way to build the business to be break even or profitable as quickly as you can, because it gives you more options. Exactly how you mentioned, if there's an opportunity to take on investment and you have the right foundation, you can do it. If you want to keep operating on your own, you can do that. Or if you want, there's an opportunity to be acquired, you can survive. But you know, it's all about being able to build a sustainable business and having the foundation that supports your growth and gives you optionality where any of those paths are open versus being forced down a certain route to raise money or else go out of business. Because that's a very terrible position to be in, both from an emotional and mental standpoint, but then also in terms of ownership of the business in the future of that. Exactly. If you get yourself cornered and you don't have any options, very difficult position to be in. If you leave many door opens, if you give yourself various options, because the world changes so fast, your company changes so fast, what the market's after. So you got to be able to have these options. And for me, that having the manufacturing provided those options and private labels only growing in popularity. So we have this hybrid business that, yes, is much more complex to manage that pre-COVID was considered a huge risk. Nowadays, it's a huge advantage. And so it's a model we really think makes sense. For the private label accounts, did you approach those people to make the product or did they approach you? So the first account was more of a connection through a friend uh, that they were looking for something we could make. Nowadays, we reach out to accounts. They have dedicated private label buyers. And uh, there's also, in fact, a show in Chicago in the fall that is all about private. It's not as obvious as the big buyers in retail. And it's something that happens more under the table. People don't talk about it. It's not widely promoted, but it's certainly just as big of a business, if not yeah. larger. And that's like the the PLMA, Private Label Manufacturers Association, puts on a show. I love that. So I know a lot of our founders are kind of thinking of like, what does that business look like as I start to grow and I manufacture? So you start off at Union Kitchen, you then grew into another larger facility, and you're going to be opening up a third, even larger facility from here. So what has been the challenges of self-manufacturing, especially as you've grown and hit different obstacles? I honestly had no idea what I was getting into when I first started. Remember, it was not supposed to get to be this kind of thing and catering is so much easier to manage overall. But manufacturing, doing your own manufacturing is a huge responsibility. And if not managed properly, it's turn death. There's so many aspects around food safety and quality assurance, quality control that you have to get well versed in to do a good job and also find the support to be able to run your manufacturing, something you can't just do on your own as a solopreneur at a scale. So we are also a meat producer, right? We manage meat products. Therefore, we are a USDA inspected facility. That is two sides of a coin as usual, good and bad. Well, A, going through the hoops at the beginning of getting all your paperwork aligned and your grant of inspection and working out the schedule with your inspector, et cetera, et cetera, 
it can be painful. But the other side of it is actually a huge plus because it prepares you, keeps you on your toes. You have an inspector on there that is there to help you keep your production on track and with the right filters and quality assurance aspects. So then you have to go also through FDA, through your local Department of Health. And as you grow, it only gets more complex. Nowadays, we are an SQF facility. We got our audit last year and are about to renew a certification that puts us at the highest level possible, you know, comparable to the large plants of, say, a Nestle or a Coca-Cola. It took a while to get there. At the beginning, when the first time I was told, like, where's your HACCP plan? Like, my what? Sorry. <laughs> oh, okay. Yes, I got to go do a lot of learning. So that's where you start, a lot of learning. And it takes a while to figure out what your HACCP should look like, what your proper processes are. And as you evolve your production and you grow, it changes. So something is a living document and it has all these processes that have to go along with it that happen on a daily basis. It's mostly routines. So there's USDA per se has good support, good help. There are consultants you can reach out to. There are manufacturing groups that are tend to be statewide that also have supports in, in this sense. But it's very, very important from the beginning to be very mindful of understanding what you're doing it, how to do it, and be, I mean, anal about it. You really have to stick to your processes because any kind of recall, any kind of food safety issue can't just destroy your business overnight. So that's a part that I just cannot insist about how important it is. And I think a lot of founders might see this as an annoyance at the beginning, right? Like, oh, I have to have a HACCP plan and think about food safety. But if you're making a product, the number one thing that you need to do is make sure that it's safe for the people who are consuming it. And both from a business standpoint, but also from an ethical standpoint of, you know, you want to make sure you're producing something that people can trust. And I think it's something that, you know, we take as for granted as a default or as a given these days, but they're even large companies have lots of recalls and problems that happen. And so I love that you're so focused on that process. Are you managing the production facility and everything now? Or have you been able to build out a team that's managing the production? I am so happy to say I have a team now that I can really count on. And this has been really of the last year. So 21, I was still pretty much managing everything myself. And it was going to kill me, literally. It's too much. And this past year... I was able to bring in a COO, a head of food safety and quality assurance, and also someone, a head of sales that now transitioned actually full-time as vice president of sales. And it certainly required now, that's why I waited till we were absolutely ready to, and had the need to raise money and mostly to be able to bring a team also start focusing on the trade spend needed to support our retail growth. But that's completely changed things because I can actually sleep at night and not wait for the three o'clock call, like the truck broke down on the side of 95 and we don't know what to do. <laughs> the power went out. The myriad little calls and little things that operations involve to then have a team that can manage that completely. So can focus more on strategy, on fundraising, on marketing. So that's changed my world. I read at one point, you might still be doing now that you're running three shifts, essentially 24 seven, just to make sure that you were able to make enough product, right? Yes. So that was that ramp up, that original ramp up. The way to do so was throwing people at it, which is not a long-term sustainable option. Now, so my COO is somebody that has 30 plus years of experience, knows what he's doing. I was just learning as I was going. And you can do so for a certain period of time. 
I had no experience in the food industry before, and but I'm a quick learner and I'm good at studying. So I was able to do by trial and error and go learn the information I needed, come back, apply it. But it gets to a size where you can't do that anymore. There is no room for error. There's no time to learn as much. So having someone that actually knows and understands has the experience to then quickly organize and turn things around. So we produce actually more than we did with three shifts. With two nowadays, it's actually there are fewer people per shift also. So uh, we're well on track to decrease significantly our labor costs. And with our new plant, we'll be much more automated. So those costs of goods will get even slimmer as we grow. That's exciting. For anyone who is maybe currently self-manufacturing and looking to make the decision to continue doing so, or maybe move to a co-manufacturer, what advice would you share with them? So the first piece of advice I would have is to make sure you're up for it. It's hard to say exactly why. I think it's probably easiest to think of an analogy. For those of you out there that are parents, people tell you it's very hard to be a parent and you don't know what you're getting, you know, what's coming your way. And oh, sleep now that you can. And you're like, okay, whatever, leave me alone. And uh, you don't quite understand what's involved until you have that kid at home and you run into all these issues. Is this kid breathing properly? Is this the right way? Well, is this all these diapers? Like, how do I manage all these diapers? And wait, I'm just going ballistic with lack of sleep. I can't think straight. You don't quite anticipate what it's involved. But so you want to make sure you're mentally prepared for it, that you have the time to dedicate to it, and that you have the grit, the resilience to take the amount of stress that comes with it. So that's the first part. So say, if you're a new parent, now that we're talking about new parents, probably not the right time to think about doing your manufacturing, do one at a time. (laughs) The other bit is make sure you have cash around. You have to get machinery in order to scale, and you have to be ready to figure out how to finance that machinery. You can certainly start small, that's what we did. We used to make our empanadas with little plastic molds and transitioned to this new space with little plastic molds. And the huge upgrade was going from a pan to fry them to a McDonald's-like style French fry fryer. So you got to be creative in that sense and grow slowly, try different things, especially trial and error. That stage is huge. Will this work? Fry it. Discard. Don't go the huge jump, like say now our fryer is a conveyor belt fryer that measures 15 feet. And it's awesome. And I love it. And it changed the world. But we were not ready A, to afford it at the beginning. We didn't have a use for it really at the beginning. And I know friends that bought similar fryers that didn't work for them. And they pretty much they had to just dump them. So don't just jump into a big piece of machine to start with. Try smaller things, smaller steps to grow into that big machine and make sure you have a way to finance those machines and the people you need to help. I love all of those. And I think they're spot on. You know, with my previous brand, T-Squares, we went back and forth between self-manufacturing and working with contract manufacturers. And so I've seen both sides of the coin. And I think you're right. Like when you're managing manufacturing yourself, knowing that you're going to change multiple times of facilities, the building itself, the equipment is really key. And the other big learning, which you kind of mentioned as well, is it's almost like running two businesses. You have like your brand and your sales in that side, which is a completely different kind of mentality than running a day-to-day manufacturing facility, which is about managing labor and employees and ingredients and supply chain. And it's two sides of the brain. And so you almost have to be prepared to 
run two businesses if you decide to continue self-manufacturing. Yeah, that's exactly right. I love that. Margarita, thanks so much for being on today. I am so impressed by everything that you've accomplished so far and can't wait to continue following your journey. Well, thank you, Jordan. Really appreciate the time today. It was fun to chat.